0: Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Henry Schuchman. He uh, is a, a Zen teacher and I guess I should say an ex-writer uh, and a very good one at that. Um, I've read his uh, a memoir, a Zen memoir, One Blade of
1: Grass. Uh, Henry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be with you. So are you you're in Santa Fe right now? Well, I, I, I normally live there these days and have for many years, but right now, actually, I just happen to be in California. Ah, okay. Just um, as it happens. Yeah.
0: Yes, and um, you're a fellow Brit, Englishman, indeed. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now, yes, as, as a Zen teacher, um, I, I feel like I want to just just because we've, we've got this incredible backstory. It's like you've you've had four or five different lives. Um, but just to to bring people into your world right now, can you give us a a day in the life of a, of a Zen teacher today, your, 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 what's important to you, you're, how your life goes right now?
1: Well, you know, that, that's, I'd love to, I've got to just put on the little rider that what it's been the last sort of 18 months or even two coming on two years is different from what it was before because of COVID. So, um, <clears throat> I'm doing, um, I mean, the basics are still like, you know, get up, Maybe make a cup of coffee um, or a cup of tea and get on the cushion. You know, the, the sort of first item of the day, really, you know, is well, maybe the coffee sometimes, you know, maybe the tea sometimes and getting on the cushion. And I just sit and you know, start the day basically with stillness, you know, and ideally, usually. Commonly, you know, it's, it's kind of as the night is handing over to day. So it's a beautiful way to start the day when the world is still in transition, you know, and, and we just get into this restful condition that's very aware that meditation, you know, over time can, can help us find more and more easily. So that's, that's item number one in the day. <laughs> And it's critical, you know, and it's, it's usually, it's rarely less than an hour and of sitting. And, um, and then, well, actually there's some variability. And the, the biggest variable is like how much I meet with people. I used to meet with people quite a lot, you know, in, the, in it's part of Zen teaching is one-on-one interactions with students. Um, but, but actually, you know, with COVID, uh, Obviously it became harder to do that in person. We shifted very easily to doing it online, which I'd been doing all along anyway with students in other parts of the world. But actually, and of course that ramped up, but then I had just a personal sort of thing, which, which was a, um, a, a bike accident that meant I, um, I could not do so much screen time. My, my neurology was a little bit rattled by, by this accident. And it's been a long, slow process, actually, of recovering. I'm fairly normal, basically, functional in most, most ordinary sort of ways. It's just that if I spend a lot of time on a screen, <clears throat> I start to get uh, neurological issues. And so, for example, right now, actually, I, I can't stare at the screen as we're talking. I've got a separate camera set up, so I can... I can sort of glance down at the screen now and then, but also just look at the camera. And, you know, it probably right. feels like I'm looking at you, but... It does. Feels very good, I hope yeah. it does. But actually, I'm not. I mean, I, I have done, you know, I've been glancing at you as well, but, but uh, I'm trying to mostly look at the camera. So, so in the light of that, it means I've, I've done less of the Zen meetings in my, in my daily routine these days. Instead, I've been... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been busy. Uh, I've got a new meditation program that I've been sort of sharing with whoever wants to do it, which is called Original Love. And it's taken a lot of development to put the pieces of that in place. And it's, it's, it's running now. And it's, it's been really uh, quite exciting to see how, how much it's helped people and how many people are doing it. Um, it's all online. And so I'm sort of busy with that. I've also, you know, I'm writing more, actually. No. You're quite right, you're quite right to have called me an ex-writer. I, I, part of that, that book that, you, you know, you, 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 uh, you referenced is, it's a story of how I sort of stopped being a writer. And, and I know there was a ridiculous paradox in writing a book about no longer being a writer. It was an, I knew it was an absurdity, but I sort of did it anyway. And, um, uh, and um but actually because that book somehow was i don't know it i, I had really stopped writing and it, it become no longer a central concern of my life for quite a number of years and then then that book happened and and now i'm i'm sort of back I'm back <laughs> in the writing world a bit i've just written another book it's in a it's in a early draft stage um and so i'm working on that sometimes i've also found that Um, I'm writing poems again, which is a thing I used to do and I'm, I'm doing it with a, with a deep new joy, actually. It's really, it's really nice to be. And I think it's also really part of the COVID situation that wanting to communicate and share in, in other ways is seems to just somehow naturally come back up again to be doing more of that. So and then I, 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 I sit again later and I, I, you know, I do all the usual household things we need to do, you know? So nothing special, definitely nothing special in the life yeah. of a, a Zenny, you know?
0: <laughs> Zenny. And, uh, and that's something that struck me about the book. I mean, I was sort of vaguely familiar with, with, I read the Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance I was like, I was a kid. I kind of understood the concepts a little bit, but, um, that's what comes through in your, in your memoir is just how simple and straightforward Zed is. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it almost like maddeningly basic, right? Because there's part of me that feels drawn to, I don't know, mystical wonderment somehow and, and, and sort of florid language. And I love Rumi, and, you know, but, but here, when you talk about Zen, it's all that stripped out, right? It's a, it's a, where it's like a deep appreciation of, um, ah, I don't know, the basics of life or something. I, I don't know how to articulate it, but it's,
1: yeah. yeah. It's, it that, that's pretty good, actually. Deep appreciation of the basics of life. You know, the, the old Zen adage is that, you know, other people can walk on water and teleport and whatever these other miraculous powers are. But the Zen, the Zenny says, you know, my miracles, this is actually an old uh, Chinese Zen practitioner called Layman Pang, he was known as, he said, you know, my miracles are uh, chopping wood and carrying water, you know, which were like the two yeah. most basic household activities, having a fire yeah. and water, you know, chopping wood, carrying water, those are my real miracles. So so finding the miraculous and the wonder in this very moment always. That's the project of Zen. Is that it's not denying that, you know, this life is um a most extraordinary uh, thing. To be alive is the greatest, you know, alive and aware, you know, is the greatest sort of miracle of all, really, in a certain sense but it doesn't need special things in order to be miraculous. It already is. And how to, how to wend our way back to that kind of appreciation of of the most simple, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, so I, I kind of would want to just push back a little bit on like, is it really just, just sort of basic and ordinary and simple kind of yes, but also kind of no, because It's a journey of discovery. I mean, the arc of a Zen training is to take us to, you know, the boundless, the infinite, the totally empty, the nothing at all, the, 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 the totally unified, the whole oneness of the universe, you know, is to take us to all of that, but then really kind of bring us back (laughs) to just a cup of tea now, you know, and a conversation.
2: Yeah. 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 And,
0: and i am I you you're still an atheist you're still an atheist Do you describe yourself as an atheist in the book
1: yeah i mean I, I i wish somehow i i could i could say no but 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 yeah i mean i, I just don't i don't know it's just not in my makeup to 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 I, I somehow can't i can't understand the idea that there's some other great being. I mean, I I feel that there's, let alone one that can be quite harsh and aggressive and encourage. I mean, I I see, I I mean, being somewhat, you know, uh, I mean, I I see a lot of negatives in organized religion and in theistic belief. I think it, I I, I mean, I'm sure I'm one-sided about it. I, I see, I see how destructive it's been in human history and I see how um particularly you know western religion has been such a sort of uh, a sort of inspirer i think of um, this sense of ex having exclusive special exceptionalist claim on reality on truth that was one of the various elements behind western imperial colonialism as, as i see it it was it was, you know, the, the whole project of stomping around the world and brutally oppressing people and stealing and, and exploiting and, you know, was, was, uh, I mean, one and what it had, it had one piece in that puzzle was, was, was having a religion that, you know, s- insisted it was the one and only real one. And mm. of course, most religions do that. <laughs> but, but, but this one, you know, became, particularly good at sort of spreading you know in a viral kind of way I don't know I'm, I'm very negative about it I'm sorry I know yeah, there's another no, and,
0: and I, I can understand the critique on religion but what's still interesting to me is even outside of religion the experience that you've the experiences that you've shared so vividly in the book um you you accepted in a way that didn't have you come to a belief that there was you know something beyond right that, that this was a, an experience that you had and uh, yeah, it kind of, I guess in a very Zen way. And that, and that was that,
1: is, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I, you know, I think that um, what's great about the great religions, all of them is that they have in fact sort of a, Im- Im- embedded within them. They have, I think, you know, great discoveries about human nature and human consciousness and, 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 you know, the, there's, there's, there's aspects to our being that are simply boundless and infinite. And, 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 and there's a, you know, when I say our being, I, I mean, of course, our consciousness, like our very consciousness right now, just as we're sitting chatting, you know, there's the, 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 the focus on this conversation and on, you know, our communicating. And it's very nice to connect with you, actually, Richard. Thank you for opening this up. But at the same time this consciousness consciousness goes infinitely wide. there's no limit to how wide it goes and and um i I believe that one service that religion has done over the many decades millennia is is to sort of preserve some avenue to awareness of that of mm. of the of the great <clears throat> you know in the face of the the sort of uh the sort of infiniteness, really, of our experience here and now, that has that dimension of infinity, or even dimensionlessness, also, of, you know. But don't want to get too complicated here. But you know, it has that, and and I think the great side of religion is is whenever it acknowledges that great mystery, you know, the, the mystery really of being. I mean, I I think that's a wonderful side to religions as well. And I just wish that um, the more, um, you know, political dimensions of religion were more curbed and, mm. you know, and people were just, and, you know, religions, I think, I think there's a strong movement actually probably these days in interface and so on. Okay. Religions learning to be more respectful to one another and more, Pluralist, it seems like to me like there's an immaturity about exceptionalism, you know, about claiming that we're the only one. It's it's all very it's, it's one thing to say I really like ours, you know, <laughs> I think our religion is great, but not to then take the step of saying so all the others must be wrong. I think that's mm-hmm. immature, and right. I think some religions haven't been haven't been called on that or haven't called themselves enough on that, you know? And um, it's sad to me actually, because uh, I don't, I think it's unwise really and they should know better, you know, and their leaders should, should know better and should be, what am I saying? I'm being really bossy now, but I think that there's, I think that it's be- It's possible to make sort of some of the deepest discoveries that religions can convey without any religion at all. I believe that. And and that's been my experience actually. And so why, why don't we go that way? And, you know, in other words, you know, if, if, if religion has these hazardous add-ons that, travel with it, like, you know, we're the best, we're the only ones. Why, why, why not, you know, why not jettison
2: it and just really
1: be more and more, um, discovering what it is to be human? You know, what that's mystery and wonder enough,
2: I feel. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting then to ponder as you, as you speak,
0: why do you think people crave something that isn't that simple? You know, why? Yeah. Why do we seek religion that that might give us more guidelines and content if you like?
1: Yeah. Nice question. I mean, well, here's, here's a, here's a possible, a couple of possible responses, I suppose. One is that you know, I mean, the first and foremost is that we suffer a lot. Life is going to have grievous losses almost, almost inevitably for almost all of us, I think. And it can be very, very painful. And we want some, we want somewhere to sort of go with that pain and that suffering that inevitably will come. And, um, That's, it's a beautiful thing that we we have systems that can somehow embrace us and hold us with our suffering. I think that's, that's one side of it. But the other side of it is that I think we, we may, all of us at times at least have intimations that we're not seeing the whole picture, that our harried lives of, you know, what Wordsworth called our sort of lives of getting and spending, you know, what does he say? The world is too much with us. How does it go? Late and soon getting and spending, we lay waste our powers that we're, we're so busy trying to get what we want or we feel we must need and, you know, trying to keep away the things we don't want to have happen. We're so busy with that. Um, isn't there more? You know, maybe we commonly have some sort of intimation, or many of us do at times, have some sense that there's there's a bigger picture, and we long for a broader perspective, a wider view, where you know we feel more settled in ourselves, in our life, where we're we're able to see at times that, yeah, although there's challenges and frustrations and disappointments in this life there's also somehow great beauty in the midst of it as well and and you know I I I would say that both those things can be found you know both the the sense of a kind of deeper perspective that supports us and a, a, a wider view that Opens us up to the beauty of of being alive. Both of those can be found with our religion. <laughs> I think as uh, my experience through a through right, a. Right. I, I guess through a sort of. It's true. I've been through a rather kind of long, you know, sort of, in a sense, possibly arduous kind of training, you know, which I I apparently needed, but I, I don't know that all of us need that. Um, but at least at least I can say. I'm pretty sure, you know, um, this can be found without religion. And, and I, like, I like the name of your podcast where it says it's right. You know, it's about being human. Yeah, I think this sort of training I'm talking about is really about a deeper look at
2: being human. Yeah. And, and you describe it as an arduous training. Well, it's interesting to consider.
0: Can, can, can there be a non-arduous training regime which gets us there? Or does it somehow, you know, it, does it cut against the grain of, of what it generally means to be human to, to such an extent that, it, that there's always going to be a level of to to get to this, you know, more awakened position or whatever we might want to call it?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, wouldn't claim, I wouldn't claim that last point but for myself. But, but anyways, there's some, some, some things have shaken loose through it in, a, in what seems to be mostly positive kinds of ways. Um, I think it's a good question. It's, you know, in, in uh, the sutras of Buddhism, of early Buddhism texts that purport to record how the Buddha taught and uh, various different ways he used to do it. But He, he sometimes talked about what, what, what the shift that he'd been through by which he became the Buddha, you know, awakened or enlightened, which is, that's what that means. You know, the word Buddha, um, that shift, he said initially, he, he was encouraged to start helping others find it. And he said, no, it's too difficult. It's like going against the stream. Like this, I'll, I'll, I'll have to be teaching people to sort of go against themselves. They're so habituated to, to acting, thinking, you know, in certain ways, behaving in certain ways. This, this is like going against the stream. And I think there's, there's truth to that, that we've got, you know, what, what in Buddhism we call conditioning, which we might just call habit, habits of thought, habits of feeling, habits of behavior, habits of speaking. Habits of, you know, how we formulate and understand our life, our world, you know, that, and, and yeah, it can take quite a lot of highly repetitive sort of training, really, to, to shake some of those things loose. I think it's, I think probably that there, there might be some formula whereby, you know, if it isn't somewhat long and arduous, maybe it's not going to be that thorough. I I don't really know whether that need be stated as a formula, but it could be that at least for some, some, you know, I was slow and hard to really, you know, I was sort of stubborn set in my ways, I feel. And it took quite a lot of hammer blows to, 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 to break some of the shells of uh, around my, you know, understanding. I don't know. That's a, yeah. Sorry, that's a yeah no. <laughs>
0: and Well, and that's certainly the impression I got, you know, from, from the book, but something that comes to mind as we speak is there's a, there's a brilliant book. I don't know if you've heard of it called the, Con- um, the continuing Co- concept by a woman called uh,
1: Judith Laidloff. I read it way back. It's just yeah. a Brazilian uh, ch- child care was one of the things. Yeah, is that right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. And, and, and her ob- observations of, you know, very sort of high levels of attachment parenting, highly, you know, loving and secure childhoods of, of some, some native uh, tr- tribal families that she was, uh, she was uh, observing. And her observation was that the, the adults in, that, in those societies, you know, these oh, very loving and caring societies, it seemed to her, and this was my read of the book, found, you know, let's say, spirituality a, a little more easily. Um, it was easier for them to connect to these altered states of awareness, you know, this, this, this higher sense of being. Again, this is my interpretation. And that, that rung true for me because, yeah, you know, I, I haven't been through the same training as you, but a lot of my work has been in trauma release work and, and so on to get to a, uh, you know, a, a more stable, let's say, uh, condition. Um, and, and I've related to that as being arduous, and I do wonder – if for me and, and for others, if there were less tra- trauma in childhood, it would be it would be easier
1: um, to find these places. Yeah, that, that resonates with me too. I mean, um, I think it's I think it's quite complex on on the relationship between trauma and spirituality. Um, it's a great subject, actually. I'm glad you bring it up. I mean, here's, here's, um, here's one one. One thought is like, yes, I somehow think that, you know, loving lovingness or some feeling of love or belovedness is central to spiritual spiritual experience to 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 let's say I call them sort of wider, broader experience, you know, experiencing boundlessness, the freedom of boundlessness, where we actually feel that we're intimate with everything. We feel even more that we're we're just part of the one single fabric, and that's in, that's an immensely sort of loving thing to experience. We feel like we're just we're so part of everything that we're we're just totally loved it's it's a It's the sort of flip side of the isolation that's part of trauma, I think you know that it's it's an ultimate belonging because we're part of everything and um I wonder, I mean, I, I had a traumatic childhood too. I, I, you know, starting from when I was six months old and I was weaned by my mother leaving me for 10 days and, and just handing me over to a au pair girl who gave me formula. And when my mother came back, I was totally covered in very severe eczema and, you know, I can only imagine what I went through in those days. I, I have some sense from some trauma work I've done myself, uh, somatic work and, um, of the, of the agonies of that, you know, and, um, and, uh, I, and you know, right through my childhood, this severe eczema didn't really let up. I was often in hospital and it was, a, it was a very, um, very, very, you know, very chronic thing through my childhood. And, but then when I was 19, I, I was away from home on a gap year, working abroad and, and I, and I had a, you know, what, I didn't know what it was, but I came to understand later. It was, a, it was a sort of, you know, a spiritual experience, an awakening experience and discovered this utter, utter, utterly <laughs> uncompromised belongingness in the whole whole of everything is what it felt like and and by then actually while i'd been away my eczema had had totally improved and healed it was it was kind of miraculous for, for me you know and then this this awakening experience happened completely sober by the way you know no no additives in it. and um <laughs> and it, it um it was and and i wondered like well was there some actually was there some i don't know some sort of impulsion towards something like that to coming out of the the trauma of my childhood you know was there was there something in me that was so hungry for some sense of belonging and of being held uh you know because actually being held was was could be painful for me as a kid because of the state of my skin. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know, but you see what I mean? Like was mm. is it is it simply that, well, if we've had a lot of trauma, it's harder to find this stuff? Well, probably yes, on the whole, because um because we the the avenue to sort of love somehow is is more complicated. It's It's got obstacles in it, you know, but at the same time, I think there can be a hunger for it, a yearning that's very sort of pure and can be powerful. And maybe we're, we sometimes in some cases, we're more driven in a sort of spiritual quest as well. It's, 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 it's. I mean, I'm struck by how, and some people talk about this, how, you know, a spiritual experience, quote unquote, an awakening experience can be a kind of counterpart to a traumatic experience in that it's an experience of overwhelming benevolence, you know, overwhelming belovedness or overwhelming union of some kind that can leave its own sort of what would you call it post benevolence you know not disorder not stress (laughs) love order (laughs) love condition a sort of post-awakening love condition i I don't know yeah yeah and then
0: as as you speak of course so a term that's often used is, is is spiritual bypass right that we for some of us, we, we find some solace in those experiences and we continue to seek them, um, but somehow use that as a way to avoid doing any emotional work or what we might call trauma work. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, that, it, that's, it's a good thing to bring up at this point. I mean, the, actually, when John Wellwood, who first used that term, when he first used it back in the 80s, I think, He meant a phenomenon he was seeing in his friends who were serious about their spiritual practice, which mostly in those days, it was mostly about meditation. You know, first, second generation of serious meditators in the West. He said that, you know, he could observe that there was a phenomenon whereby they would have some, you know, life problem. And rather than address it, they would focus on their meditation hoping that somehow that would resolve the life problem. You know, let's say they, you know, not getting on well with their spouse. So I'll sit more and then maybe that will help me get into a state of mind whereby I can communicate better with my spouse or something, rather than just doing some couples therapy. You know, so his initial use of the word was really more like, rather like workaholism or something like that. It was sort of, you know, sp- spiritual holism, you know, it's like overdoing spiritual practice rather than actually tending to something in life that needs tending to. Now, now these days it's, it's, it's morphed a bit so that people use the term to mean like well, you got, you got your emotional stuff and you're not looking at it. You're doing a your spirituality too much and you're blissing out, but it's, it's complex. Let me, let me tell you why I think it's complex. Because first of all, the kind of experience that I was just talking about awakening experiences, they're rare, you know, they're, they're rare and they change the course of our life. They shift our priorities in a beautiful way, which might well make somebody realize, you know, wow, I'm, I've got these lingering chronic difficulties. I better do some work on that level. An awakening experience can and commonly would actually lead somebody into doing some trauma work or some therapy. On the other hand, there's a kind of non-awakening, meditative experiences we can get into while meditating sort of samadhi, we call it, you know, which is absorption states, which are temporary. They, you know, we, we can turn, we, with, with practice and with some, you know, skill and guidance, we can learn ways of getting into quite deep, fulfilling states of absorption. They're sort of flow states, really, while meditating. And actually that's really good and positive, but not if we're doing that um, I mean, we shouldn't do that. It's not wise to do that and think that we don't have to tend other stuff in life, you know, mm. it's like, if, so, so, so I think it's, it's not a, it's not quite such a simple thing as like, oh, that person's doing too much spiritual, spiritual stuff They're neglecting other things. That may be true, but, um, but we've got to be a little careful about it. There's, there's subtleties in there. Like there's nothing wrong with an awakening experience, you know, no way. And no way is that spiritual bypassing. Not at all. That's, that's a, a grace, a gift, a, a wonder that befalls somebody out of the blue, and it's totally to be treasured and cherished and kind of worked with, you know, it's not, it's not an end point by any means. And usually it would tend to make somebody more conscious of other kinds of psychological work they might need to do. On the other hand, you know, um, just thinking life problems will go for uh, go away. But if I sit enough, that's more like spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Got
0: it. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that makes it. That makes an awful lot of sense, and and I, and I, I what I, I I think what I'm just pondering here is because I, I don't I don't think I've ever had that kind of experience where I just you know experience some I don't know some overwhelming sense of love and belonging or, or whatever that might look like. It's it's hard for me to appreciate just what a difference that might make or could have made to my own you know emotional and trauma release work. But as you describe it, that makes complete sense. Um I I I meditate. Um I do transcendental meditation, which I know you moved away from. I'm I'm still I'm still there. And I and I find that really powerful in terms of sort of regulating my system and helping me to relax more and sleep better. And and sometimes I can be aware of some kind of an altered state where I feel higher levels of joy and bliss, but nothing that you know that approaches what you described on on, on the beach uh, in the book, or on, you know, on Gog, Gog hills right now outside so Cambridge, and then I get you, you know there's sort of several events in your life that seem to have a, a a particular quality that, yeah, I get. I guess I haven't experienced. I guess most people don't experience in their in their lifetimes, right?
1: I I just don't know. There's there's I've read a little bit of research on it. Um, <clears throat> there's one there's one. Guy called David Yadden, I think he may be at Berkeley, I can't remember now. But he he's been researching that. He he has what he calls an what do they call STEs, self-transcendent experiences. He has a fairly wide range of experiences that he includes in that category, which would include like flow states, you know, when somebody's, you know, playing a violin or riding a mountain bike or surfing or you know, making love or, or you know, in, in some deeply engaging activity, you know, and, 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 you know, get suddenly in the zone. You know, you know what I mean? That shift yeah, where yeah. the basketball player just, everything's so easy and clear. And actually they're doing something incredibly complex, but it seems easy. And it's like, they can't go wrong. And sure enough, they, you know, it's a slam dunk. And, you know, that, that being in the zone, uh, yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of research on that. Pioneered by by you probably know of him, Chiksent Mihai, yeah. in the seventies and eighties in Chicago, on flow states. And so David Yadin includes them as self transcendent experiences. He also includes, um, you know, when we're doing mindfulness practice and we just become really observant of what's going on, without feeling engaged in it. So we we suddenly hit this level of of peaceful calm observing of whatever's arising you know that's he includes that the mindful witness so those are things that you know they they wouldn't (laughs) i hate to sort of put it like this but somehow in terms of awakening they're not that but they're very very nice you know very (laughs) positive so he thinks that including those he reckoned that in I don't know, some samples, sort of 30% of people have had have had taste of that. So but who God, who knows, you know. But but the the important the point is that we all have the capacity for it. And um
2: I wanna say again, just
1: coming back to trauma, I I feel that it's a bit hard for me to formulate this clearly, but I want to say something like, I believe in our suffering. I believe in our pain and our hurt, and even our trauma. I believe in it. I sort of believe that it's it's in some way it's it's the it's the real
2: path that that um.
1: I mean, I, let me see if I can just unpack that a little bit better. Like, like I noticed that times in my life when I've really been able to trust my, my, my pain, my emotional pain, um, somehow it's better. You know? <laughs> it's better than times when I don't. That by by, you know, sort of not going away from trauma,
2: but opening to it, giving it
1: space, um, letting it sort of guide me, really, you know, and
2: take me through whatever it, it needs. You know,
1: it somehow is... It's a wise, it it leads to deeper, wiser, broader sense of things. I'm talking so vaguely. Do you you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I resonate with that. And I mean, I've heard people say before, like, if you're doing emotional work, you're really doing spiritual work. Because whenever you, you achieve some kind of breakthrough at the emotional level, you're simultaneously experiencing a breakthrough at. The spiritual level, the psychological level, the physical level, right? That's one way of kind of thinking about it is that we're operating on all of these planes simultaneously and whatever, whatever we achieve, yeah, some, some meaningful event on one level, it's happening at all levels, which would um, correlate with what you were saying about you have one of these, these spiritual experiences um, of, of love and belonging that that's kind of
1: filter through on the other levels. Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I sort of half agree. I, I mean, I think I think there are different levels of work. I do think there are, and um, I mean, I don't think that every every time I had some sort of breakthrough in therapy, it was equivalent to discovering my unity with the cosmos. No, that's not. Oh, that's not going to go that
0: far. What's that? I said you're not going to go that far.
1: No, no. I think there are different levels. I really do, and and I think it's it's good to keep awareness of that and keep some mm. sort of because uh, otherwise we'll end up losing uh, losing awakening as a it, it, you know when you can't lose it. But I mean, like losing paths to it is, is it needs to be upheld as well. This is a really. This is a, a totally you know, amazing thing a human being can go through is to, is, is to discover that their very own nature. And I think this is the point that I really want to make, is that our own heart, our own mind, our most sort of innermost sense of who we are, that if investigated, can open out. It already does open out, but we don't see it yet commonly. You know. It opens out to to the whole the whole universe and you know and when we when when we find that we also find that there's this utter utter wonder of everything being empty that you know we're you know we're here here we are you know two guys talking you know and you know i'm sitting here in this room you're sitting in your room and computer technology zoom everything internet we're, we're chatting But at the same time, there actually is sort of a level of this moment right now that's completely empty. It's just utter silence, you know. And yet it's, it's, it's manifesting, it's producing, it's generating, it's being exactly what we're doing right now. And to find that
2: utter emptiness, you know, that's
1: not the precinct of psychology. It just isn't. It doesn't need to be. You know, it's, 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 it's these, these old deep traditions like Zen and Buddhism that, that have been exploring that for millennia. And how does that, how does it relate to being a human being, you know, wisely, kindly, happily in, in this world, just as this world is today? So I think you know, that's my little plug for acknowledging different levels yeah. of practice. You know, yeah, yeah. No,
0: I can see that and that that we want we we, we need to honour them and keep them distinct because of the, and I, I suppose especially because of those distinct qualities of of the spiritual experiences you're describing. Yeah. That it doesn't make sense to compare or equivocate across. Right, I, I I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and you know, there's there's again, it comes back to this pluralist thing that I I, I think is so healthy. It's pluralist, and you know, sometimes I hear psychologists wanting to claim, you know, that that oh, we're doing the deepest possible spiritual work. I, I, you know, I think this, we should be careful of claims like that, that we, you know, is there some part of us that doesn't want to accept that we've got an emphasis here and it's a good one and other methods have other emphases and they're good too. And is there some part of us that feels a need to say, we've got it all right here, you know, and that's something to be watchful of in any system of psychology or spirituality
0: yeah 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 i i i I resonate with that and and it and it's not just it's not it's not just religion that does that because when i think about the different modalities healing modalities that i've experienced in my life they all want there's a sort of tendency to claim more exclusivity right you know it's like through
1: this all will be well like in all domains exactly exactly Um, yes yeah that's my point I got deep into some dream work that was really, really helpful. I loved it, but they were always, they, they couldn't really bear the idea that Zen was doing something else. They wanted all that Zen awakening too in their system and they didn't have it, you know, but they, they sort of, it was very hard for them to accept that they weren't sort of total. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you know, I think you're saying this, we're making the same yeah. point. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah which is sad because yeah. they had something incredibly valuable to offer and it's enough.
0: Yeah. But, but when I think about it, I think there's are catering in a sense to a need in me when I, is that oh, I, it's almost like I just want to, I want to, I want to indulge that delusion <laughs> that I found the thing. And well, if I just keep doing this thing, then everything gets better in all dimensions. And I, So there's a two-way, there's a relationship there, right, with me as the customer and them as the purveyor.
1: Well, you know, there's this thing that um, they talk about, some psychologists talk about projective identification, where we project onto either a teacher or a system or a group, all the sort of positive stuff, and then we identify with it. So we become very Mm -hmm. invested in it being supremely good. Yeah, and that it goes with a phenomenon we call splitting, where you know we, we project all the good onto this system that we're part of. Let's say with this teacher or founder or whatever, and then we split off. All, all the rest is not so good. <laughs> this is the good one. Then we identify with the good one and split, split. You know, to reject all the rest of them. They're not as good. You know. So that's that's a that's a human tendency that yeah. we, can, we can watch for in ourselves, you know? I mean, the, the, the answer is an answer. I think it somehow seems to come back to pluralism that is so nice to be openly acknowledging many paths, many paths, and all of them are to be honored. That doesn't mean that Right now, I'm really focusing on this one. But, but I, I, I don't need to be saying it's the one and only. Right. If, if I find I want to say that, then let's see what that's about.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm interested. And do you ever find yourself falling into that with, with your Zen practice?
1: Do you ever feel that temptation? <laughs> you know, I, I totally have done. Um, these days, I mean, I, the fact that I can see where I, how much I used to do that at different times, I, I hope means I tend to be doing it less today. I watch, yeah. I look out for it, you know? Mm. And um, I, I really want to, I know the sort of my happy position that I can taste is this humble appreciation for it. i'm I'm humbly grateful for it and and have no need to make any claims of exclusivity yeah you see what i mean like there's a way Yeah, well it
0: it links to the being humble right because it one cannot be humble and simultaneously be claiming the superiority of this particular system of (laughs) behavior or thought or whatever it might be spiritual practice Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah
1: yeah and you know, again, okay. it's tricky because some parts of some spiritual systems are to be humble before our particular God. right. And right. you know that's a great kind of humility, but if we think, well, well, you know it can it can become a kind of fig leaf for exceptionalism, yeah. now, so abjectly humble before our God, mm. and these other these other idiots they're arrogant you know because they don't get how humble they need to be before this god yeah you know, you know what i mean and and so yeah. it's it's tricky it's tr- it's, you know. it's, it's, it's yes yeah.
0: yeah. oh man i know that you you've got a time uh you know a time constraint but god i could i could speak to you for hours um but i want to i want to <laughs> honor, honor your um yeah yeah your your the time you got available so um We'll, we'll have to, unfortunately, uh, bring this to a close, but we are, what a wonderful kind of blast of insight and wisdom, um, you know, from given your life and your experience with Zen. Um, and I beseech people with even a shred of interest in, in Zen to go buy this book, One, One Blade of Grass. I mean, I mean it really, it's, it's just a great book. It's so well-written. It's, it's a piece of literature. It, I mean, it won, uh, it won a literally supplement supplement book of the year. I mean, it's... You are really, really talented writer. Um yeah, wonderful book. And uh yeah,
1: packed with um, stories. So uh, yeah, well, check thank you the book you. out. Thank you so much uh for saying that and thank you for having me on. It's been yeah. it's been really nice. I, I always feel um just sort of more comfortable when somehow trauma is on the menu in a conversation. <laughs> 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 I don't know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly what you, what you mean.
0: Yeah, let's let's make um, trauma more comfortable as a couple. It's part of the it's part of the mission of this podcast, actually, is to is to take the stigma out of it and have right, right. You know, have trauma be a kitchen table conversation. That's um, yeah, that's part of well, our mission for the world.
1: It's, and it's great that you brought up the continuum concept because there's a there's a, a, an example or there's a, there's a plea for child rearing that might, you know, significantly reduce childhood trauma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree?
1: I I absolutely.
0: I mean, I, and, and what's interesting is that um, me continuing to do my emotional work and work on the way in which my kids trigger in me, it has been an access to me being a better father and the less i'm obviously the less i'm triggered the more choices i have in how i behave around my kids but also just getting into the meditation practice has also massively helped right i think yeah you know, i notice that if i'm dealing with my kids you know after a good meditation uh, i'm in a completely different space so uh, i think child re- child rearing is so important and i think both spiritual practice and emotional work makes such a difference in our in our parenting
1: I totally agree. I mean, like that, that you were just describing for me that mindful witness that's in a place of balanced clarity and can choose responses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's very important. Um, and I can imagine if we had a world of, of Zen mothers and fathers, uh, yeah, it'd, it'd be a different world. Well, or trauma-aware mothers and fathers. Yeah. Exactly, and trauma-aware mother, fathers. Yeah, and trauma-aware, and, yeah, and, trauma <laughs> yeah. and of course, and, and, and those actively working on it, right? There's, um, yeah. that, that's, uh, I mean, that's really what you're talking about in the Zen world, you, you, it's walking the path. And that's another, you know, that's something I got from the book as well. It's, it's doing the work to have the experiences that gets over-emphasized yeah, again and again in the book is Zen is, is about, doing the work to give you these experiences. And that's how, that's how one progresses. It's not about learning more, right? <laughs> one hmm. blade of grass, which alludes, of course, to <laughs> uh, what it would take to carry this knowledge across a, across a river, right? It's, 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 a, it's, it's the experience we're going for. And I think it's the same with trauma release work. It's, it's not enough to understand how you were traumatized and how you get triggered. It, yes, it, it's doing the work, but whether it's the sort of somatic work or in my case, it's, 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 it's re those, those, um, you know, those early experiences. Yes. Beautifully put. Mm. Good. Yeah. Okay. Oh man. Well, yeah. Thanks uh, again. And we'll, thank we, we didn't, we, we didn't talk, of course, um, we didn't, we didn't really talk too much about, you know, the Zen 10 center, you know, that, the. Uh, mountaincloud.org, um, but uh, we'll make sure we we put a link to that, and that's where you know they can find um, your
1: the the classes that you run
0: and uh, yeah and so on.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Richard. Uh, actually, also originallove.org is a separate site, but linked to the Mountain Cloud site, so there's that as well. I mean, we well, might want to look at yeah. It. yeah. Oh, that
2: sounds
0: fascinating. I know I didn't get into it, but that,
2: that, that sounds fascinating.
0: Okay. Thank good. you. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Uh, I'll let you get to your next uh, uh, appointment, but uh, this, is, this has been great. Great to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> great to meet you. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.